I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. The story of Leinster's Champions Cup semi-final victory can be told in the demeanour of one man before, during and after the game. And that man is Scott Quinnell. Hello everyone, you're welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Podcast. Hi Murph. Hello there Owen. Uh, he's, not, he's not a man that can effectively hide his feelings. No, he, this he is, is true. A, yeah. a good canvas upon which you can paint your, your pictures. Not everybody's cup of tea is a pundit. His high octane style can sometimes leave the viewer feeling a tad mm, claustrophobic. Here they are, the sea of red. Are we here to win? Are we here to win? Yes, we're here to win! And we're going to... Like I said. <laughs> what? Sorry, what did we just hear there? That oh. was in full Lions mode, Murph. Uh, well, I'm I guessing before the third test, I don't know. Uh, Maybe the first. Yeah, no, no. I, I, sh- I should have known. And I think that hyperbolic has to be Lions related. They really let the, let the dogs off the leash. Oh, no. But there is no <laughs> questioning. Four years. Scott yeah. Quinnell's passion for the sport of rugby. No, and yeah, in absolutely not in question. No. For his old club, Kinethi. There he was in Sky Sports pre-match yesterday, bursting with pride, or on Saturday, I should say, literally conducting the orchestra of Scarlet's fans singing their heart out, hearts out. Cut to halftime. Yes, he was conducting the orchestra. Murph. He walked over. Okay. He started doing his thing. They all started singing and chanting and cheering and all that kind of stuff. Love the song, of course. On. They do like to sing the Welsh. Cut to halftime. The stuffing had been well and truly knocked out of the poor man. For the first time in his broadcasting career, Quinnell had precisely zero enthusiasm for being on television. Um, by full time, he had gathered himself. He was chirpy enough to praise Leinster and extol the virtues of their performance but by then it was too late every viewer knew the final result with one glimpse of a shell-shocked unenthusiastic Scott Quinnell after the first half blitz so don't bother watching the rugby anymore just watch Quinnell when a Welsh team is involved in fact if the only people so I know you want to come in on this mm. incredibly important subject <laughs> the only people in the stadium who looked even more lethargic were the Scarlet's players at half time yeah they trudged off like they are going to the guillotine at half time yeah, yeah. It, uh, the body language you didn't need to be a body language expert to realise that the, the goose was well and truly cooked. It is true, though, and he's, you take that enthusiasm out of Scott, uh, Scott Cornell, he's not the same broadcaster, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know that, you know, there's, there's beyond the enthusiasm. You know, I think that, that's his USP, you know? His 
extreme enthusiasm is his USB, his unique selling point. I enjoy the TV cameras. I'm, I'm always a little bit uneasy with the dressing room TV cameras. Yeah. Which are a staple of top-level sport these days. I think I, I, I began to become uneasy when I watched an Australian Rules game last year. And the TV covered the, the pundits and presenter were in the dressing room. Certainly, there's a couple of they were talking away. They're massive dressing rooms in Australia. Yeah. They were in the middle. Oh, yeah, well, you know, old uh, John Smith over there is a bit of a quad <laughs> injury by the looks of things. You're thinking, ah, lads, come on. This, this is going a little bit too far. But I mean, uh, how much are they paying for the TV rights for this? That they're literally allowing <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. the entire presentation team into a dressing room? Oftentimes, we tend to follow suit in this part of the world. The Aussies lead a lot of that kind of sports broadcasting stuff. Um, so we'll see if that happens. I don't think it will, but I do like the bits of insights you're getting. For example, we saw one of the Leinster backroom team, and it was picked up on, on on the coverage, trying and failing to shower the players with booze after mm. the game. He's there trying to hand out his bottles of beer, and no one's biting. Although I did see a photograph about 20 minutes later, and they all seemed to have a beer in their hands. So maybe it, it was just the knowledge. Maybe right beside that camera, there is also a TV screen yeah. which, where they can see what part <laughs> of their dressing room uh, team talk or post-match celebrations are actually being televised. <sighs> there was some shocking nudity on display in the Scarlet's dressing room. Was there? Yeah, it was an arse. I think it might have been a props arse. Too. There was an arse? Yeah. God, that's the, v- the vast majority of an arse was on display. Wow. Yeah. It's not great, is it? It's, it's shocking. Shocking a sad, scenes. A sad end to a bad day at the office. <laughs> we had a lot of fun last Friday putting together the Arsene Wenger breaking news podcast. On the day that Wenger announced his time as Arsenal manager was at an end, if, or is about to be at an end. If you like that one, you're going to love our Champions League semi-final coverage this week. Bayern Munich versus Real Madrid on Wednesday. And of course, Liverpool against Roma tomorrow night at Anfield. Ken is currently in transit. He is trotting that well-worn route between Dublin and Liverpool. And we're hoping... So many of his forebears. Indeed. We're hoping his journey over the coming days will not be fraught with conflict like his voyages have so many times before. Sorry, mate. Is there a Wi-Fi? Oh, the boy you are. He knew why I had come. That's actually my seat. Wi-Fi, Wankers. I don't know what you're talking about. We've actually just been told to sit anywhere. You want Wi-Fi, Wankers? The seat numbers don't count. Up the hair and turn her down the rocky road and all the ways to yes, indeed, uh... He has got, he's gotten into a lot of scrapes over has, the years. What a boy you are. Mm, indeed. Of course, that scrape on the train in France was witnessed by fellow football journalist Raphael Hanstein. Yeah. He was s- still shocked by what he, what he saw. Yeah, there. I mean, if you go all the way back to Portugal 2004, remember he had a run-in with some English fans? Oh, yeah. Yeah, last time Not we were in Dublin. Not the friendliest cohort of English supporters. Yeah, we... F'd your ground up. F'd up your stadium. Yeah, I mean, listen, he puts himself in the line of danger for our <laughs> benefit and amusement. So here's hoping he can do something similar tomorrow. Yeah, he leaves for Liverpool today seeking a solid living, maybe even fame and fortune. But at the very least, he wants to see some Champions League goals and hopefully a Mo Salah superstar performance. If you want to hear our coverage, you can sign up now at secondcaptains.com. It's only a fiver a month. Well, we got one half of the All-Irish final we were looking for in the Champions Cup. Shane, you were right to keep a lid on some of the hype last week. How's the form? It's good, yeah, very good. And in studio, we have got the Jaws super fan, Barry Murphy. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well. How are you? You're psychic. We're good. Your psychic powers are well known, as anyone who heard you a few weeks back. Did you see yesterday's disaster coming for Munster? I didn't, to be honest. I had um, I had my Pennywise analogy uh, from it uh, drawn up that um, 
that was going to see Munster defeat uh, Pennywise being Lorenzetti, the uh, racing owner who keeps stealing all our players and coaches uh, with his shiny balloon that is Paris. Um, and I thought Keith Earls was going to lash him with a few stones because he's really good at throwing stones. And then Conway was going to go from being the, the fire extinguisher to the... Um, to the what's it called the inhaler and and blasted in the, yeah. the clown's eyes but uh, <laughs> it didn't happen lads perfect analogy pity about the performance yeah 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 uh no i wasn't expecting it to be honest i i i think i, I think we all uh, expected monster to do to do a lot better than they did especially in that first 30 minutes so it was a uh, was very disappointing yeah shane i don't know if any of us have seen a performance like that from monster so inept in the early stages in particular the sort of performance where everything seemed to go wrong. Yeah, well, Barry was right in one part of the analogy that it was an absolute horror show for Munster, <laughs> almost from the first, first moment. And um, uh, uh, and almost everything about their game was 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 poor and off. And uh, from the fact they never really fired a shot physically, they were completely out muscled uh, for for long periods. Uh, even the fact not being able to get over the over the try line after, with so many efforts just before, you know either side of half time. Um, their their um, gameplay, either their, their skill level was, you know, it just dropped. It fell off a cliff somehow. There was so many passes on the ground, so many passes inside shoulder. Um, they weren't miserly with possession at all. And then the defensive system, which has, you know, has looked good, you know, didn't look in any way a positive for them at all. Um, they sort of over corner flagged, you know, made a racing team who had a very very good opening. But I think we saw, you know, in the second half, you know, there were still opportunities for Munster to win that game, and um, they didn't, you know, they didn't deliver in the second half either when they had when they had, um, you know, a lot more possession. So all, all around, it was a pretty abject performance from them. Yeah, but like, Munster have lost big games before and had poor performances, but I don't think I've ever really seen them panic in a big game before because I think that's what you'd probably put it down to with line out handling, scrum, pretty much everything going wrong for half an hour or so. Yeah, um, <clears throat> panic maybe. Uh, it's certainly, I think, what Shane said about the, the systems not being right. Um, probably started with the defence. Um, you know, if you looked at what, what Racing were doing, we're, we're attacking our line with with three, in groups of three. You know, the back row of, of Leroux and Nianga were, were getting off the line so aggressively and chop tackling and just stopping everything at source. And we were just completely passive in that first 30 minutes. It was... First three yards, we were getting forward, then we were taking the foot off the brakes and we were crabbing across the field. Uh, we weren't defending each other's inside shoulders. There was there didn't seem to be anyone taking charge, which I don't know if that's a distract, like we were distracted or something like that. That's what it, it kind of seemed to me, like whether we were expecting what the weather. By, yeah, what do you mean by distracted? Like the way the weather, we, we were trying to get a, a handle on the weather and, and not really, you know, maybe focusing on that too much. Or It's hard for me to say, really, but that's what it, it seemed like to me that the the game plan almost went out the window or that we we were trying to catch them on the hop with like that initial line out that, that we tried with that um uh the short throw i thought that was a a funny way to start the game um with a set piece and that didn't allow us to get any um any kind of you know any ball off our set piece for the for you know the line out was a bit of a disaster um they clearly done their homework there and then yeah when when you're conceding tries like that in, in the first 20 minutes and you know the floodgates were opened you maybe the panic does set in then but um yeah i i think i'd have to agree with Shane it was it was uh, it was a bit of a disastrous opening half 
Shane, um, like there was a few elements of it you could understand. Say, missing tackles on really good players like Teddy Thama and Vakatawa. And Munster would have known they had pace and stepping building and all that sort of thing. So those things can happen in games and it's a sunny day and all the rest. But then things like, say, towards the end of the first half, Munster did have a great chance to score a try and maybe put themselves back in the game. It didn't feel like it at the time, but if you look at the end result and the end score, then maybe a try just before halftime would have changed things. But um, Munster had been going through the phase and looking quite dangerous deep inside the Racing 22. And then there was a set play, or certainly it was a pre-planned play, and I think it was to Arnold in the centre. And he just shot up through the middle, and he went straight, he was tackling, just went straight off his feet. It was one of those chop tackles. And the Racing back row and most of the pack were there before Munster. So Munster knew the move, Racing didn't know the move, and yet Racing got to the breakdown quicker than Munster. I thought that was sort of inexplicable as opposed to, say, individual errors or lapses in concentration. That was something they all knew was going to happen, and yet they couldn't figure out a plan. Uh, yeah, I think there's a couple of um, things there. You're right about the, you know, maybe missing individual tackles against very good players who are very good of uh, stepping off their feet and very powerful. But you do know that when you're going into into a game and you also yeah and you're aware so you're aware of a guy like Teddy Thomas and what he can do if you put him in that position. You don't give him um space to you know to have a big step on. You don't have a, a defensive system in, in place that is very soft so you can attack your inside shoulder and you don't um you you don't put a um a bigger gap a big gaps in between um you know forwards and backs to make those backs uh, forwards feel uncomfortable or make the backs feel as if they have to make up more yardage and run a, an outside shoulder you know opening up their inside. So you do there, there's elements of that that you you know already before you go in. But you're right they're you know on a fast track you know, players can break tackles. You know, more concerning for me was something like the line out. I don't think I've ever seen a line out for Munster be as dysfunctional. It was it was just never worked at you know anything that they tried to do and was a massive source of of um, opportunity for um, for rushing and it took away a lot of the pressure of anything that Munster were trying to build. Uh, also with their their you know their the runners when they were getting their uh, I thought Rashing were very clever in that they were uh, as as Barry said there they were shooting numbers up. They identified the Munster carrier very early. It was very easy and that's because it was very easy to uh, identify the, the um, Munster carrier because you know they were the one that was showing there wasn't the options either side for the slot, uh, drop off ball and even when they were there it was almost telegraphed so um, it you know it was they were running exactly in the areas that you know Rassing had wanted and it was you know I've been hugely uh, positive about the coaching structure uh, for Munster over the last few months but they really got you know quite badly beaten up like tactically as well uh, whatever about the physical side of things and we saw a lot of Munster players being knocked back off their feet um, not making any meters on contact against their uh, big wrestling side not putting enough footwork on and then uh, you know what really sort of disappointed me was this pick and go game that they just refused to do anything but that when they got into the opposition 22 and there was i was you know the, the pictures occasionally went out to a bigger shot there was you know options there to move the ball wide and and after a couple of quick pick and goes and, and i wrote about it on the saturday before the game thinking you know munster have this uh, pick and go game they have a one out runner game but 
it's not oh they they haven't been using it as an end to itself. They've been using it to suck in defenders and then get that ball out wide, which you know the best monster teams have, do, have done. They didn't really take that option, you know, rarely at all. Or when they did, it's it wasn't the option to take. So, you know, right around the field, both physically and tactically and technically, um, they were miles off, and that that was incredibly disappointing. I'm also still trying to figure out why Simon Zebo wasn't on the field uh, for, for, from the start. I, you know, did, well, how well, well, was lack of fitness, I guess, is, was one of the things that he, he wasn't fit to play the full eighty minutes. I don't know, because of an injury or because of, of uh, because um, you know, aerobically he wasn't fit enough to play eighty minutes. Like if he's fit enough to play ten minutes, um, you know, injury wise, mm. I think you st- you start him. And what happens if he got, you know, if he broke down uh, after coming on? You know, I think he you have to roll the dice. And, and you know, Simon Zebo not only is he a brilliant player who makes things happen, but also he is very demanding of the ball. And I don't think that you would have seen. You know, I think you would have seen maybe a bit more ball go into the areas that it should have gone into if he had been playing from the start. Yeah, the the, the other dynamic, if you do play Zebo, and I actually don't think Zebo was amazing when he came on, but as you say, he demanded the ball. And he just had a bit of presence and personality about him. But the way himself and Earls have connected this season, they both put each other in for tries. They kind of get excited when the other one has the ball. So there's not just you know the selection issue of him or Wooten or Conway and where, what way you want to do the back three, but it's also had the two of them work off each other. Yeah, and... and and also the, the impact he has on the opposition. Don't think that he doesn't. He's just you know, Racing have just have bought him because they think he's a brilliant player. You know that you know, not just what you do, but what you are sometimes affects how the opposition defends and you know where they make reads or you know make silly decisions. And you're right. You know, listen, he, he came on. I think you know he did some good things, but and, and but he he wasn't brilliant. But there was a spark there from him. You know, and I would want to see that spark from the start. Uh, and to, to sort of break up that you know that partnership with with Conway and Earls, you know with the greatest respect of Alex Wooten, I, I just can't get my head around it. Barry, there was a bit of a consensus afterwards that you know you know Munster just reached their level at semi-finals and they lost six in a row and took some heavy beatings over the years in semis. It's like it's really the end of a road. It's a full stop for them, and that these players aren't quite at the level. But then the rest of the season, these players were doing perfectly well, and there's there's sort of these players like say. Billy Holland is a good example um, where, you know, it, as part of a functioning team, they look well. They're workhorses. And every team needs workhorses. Even Ireland have a few. You know, you see Jordy Murphy or Devon Toner work within this framework where there's talented players around them. They do their job and then they look brilliant. And say even with Leinster, uh, you know, James Tracy is a good example of that. He looks brilliant because he comes into this functioning team. If he was in a poor team, I don't know how much of an impact he'd make. But getting back to Munster, they have a few of these players who, when everything's working well, it's fine. And then people pinpoint them and say, no, this guy's not at this level. Is it as simple as say, oh, Munster just don't have the players and forget about them making a final or winning this competition? Absolutely not. I think... uh there's going to be a lot of frustration after that. I think Peter Manley spoke about how he uh, he just he's so frustrated and is sick of losing semi-finals, and that's the kind of response that I wasn't expecting. But I loved hearing that he. Um, I think S- specifically said, "I'm getting tired of learning lessons." Personally, to be honest with you, so okay. that, that's the idea. Yeah, like, <laughs> right. every every year we're we're learning lessons. I'm getting sick of that. We have to actually yeah, win it, yeah. have to actually learn the lesson. Yeah. Whatever whatever way they do it, I, I don't really. I'm not involved in, in the setup there, so I don't know how they'll they'll do it. But look, I think Racing and Leinster is is the final that should be. They're they're most deserved of 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 being there. Um, and yeah, Munster have done very well to get to the semi-final. They've, and you know, they're they're missing a lot of players with with this team as well. You know, they're missing Blaine Dahl and uh, you know the likes of Chris Farrell and Jacko Toad, who I think 
you know, they're two of the finds that we've had in the last few years, two of our best signings, and we're missing, a, you know, huge players from the middle of our field, um, you know, Clote and, and Tommy O'Donnell as well in the back row. And I, I think we don't have as big a pool as, as other teams have, so we when we lose these players, it does, uh, I'm not making excuses, but it does have an, have an effect in it, and, it, and it, takes, uh, it takes from the team massively. So, but I, I do think we've we've stepped up hugely from last year and from the years previously. I think we can, um, you know, bar that first thirty minutes yesterday. Like I'll agree with a lot of what Shane what Shane said, um, but I think a lot of it was based on that thirty minutes. Um, and like you said earlier, we panicked after that. Uh, our pick and go and our one off runners, although it might be pretty, has been working for us this season. We've been wearing teams down, and you have to give respect to Racing for that defence in the last five minutes of the first half. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, most teams have folded under that this year. And, uh, you know, the, the decision on Simon was a tough one. In hindsight, it, uh, it probably wasn't because of the effect that he had. But, you know, Simon probably hasn't been playing his best rugby of, of the last couple of months. Um, whether being left out of the Irish team um, was tough on him or the fact that he's going. And, and I think he, he proved a point yesterday that he that he still has that. But, you know, before the game, I, I think Wooten had played so well in the semi-quarterfinal that you could almost justify starting him. Um, so, you know, there's 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 a lot to be learned from yesterday. I think they've got to go back to, to, to looking at the game plan in total and how we do... Uh, offer more than that one-off runner because you know if you look at Leinster what they did on Saturday is they can uh, go up the guts like Healy scoring that try then they've got the option of Johnny Johnny Sexton landing that that kick on the on the try line to create the opportunity for that then you've got the ability of Ring Rose to to throw those passes and score in the corner so they've they're a threat all over the field and and that's the strength they have and I think we can get to that that place in Munster it's a it's a it's a stepping stone for us at the moment but um you know I think we we can learn from from the, from those teams that are that are beating us and getting to the finals and and uh and making roads there Shane what do you think I do you think that that Munster team could win this competition they'd have to play well at the right times against certain teams but is there still enough talent to win it they're never going to coast to a, a European cup but given no, us, given uh, the right circumstances I, I think not that team that went out at the weekend. I don't think there's enough talent in it, to be honest with you. If you if you look at it, there's there's too many kind of you know there's too many as you said workhorses, solid players that are that are decent, but there's they're lacking um, in quality. And Barry mentioned you know some of the the players that you know the, that are are absent from um, Munster at the moment because of injury. And I, I do think you know, you have to say that there is a validity in in you know in an excuse of saying we're missing some of our key players this year and um, Munster aren't in a position to be able to um, you know lose their you know a, a couple of back rows lose uh, centre lose um, uh, um, uh, um, a, 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 who else is another front rower has gone I think as well so I think you've got there's a huge amount of a pool of talent there that is that um, hasn't been available to them for the selection in the biggest match in France um, against a you know a highly motivated, motivated um, you know um, top performing French side. So um, I just think uh, the team that went out, yes, they have a splattering of you know, very good players, uh, a couple of world class players, but they have actually too many average players as well. Um, and where I could see Munster, you know, competing against anyone on a given day with all their you know with all their armory. 
Um, I think that when they don't have that, it's uh, it can be they, they can get shown up. And to be honest with you, you know, without being uh, you know overstating it, if if um, Raskin kept their foot down yesterday, you could put fifty on that team. You know, what did you um, make of the Teddy Thomas showboating guys with Shane? Would you have ever given up a chance for hat trick in the Heineken Cup? Not only would I've done it, I like I, I would be having a very very stern conversation with Teddy Thomas today over it. Um, it, it, it gave you know I, I was I was in the uh, text message group with Dennis Hickey and and I actually said to him like they're at this point they're taking the piss you know because to do something like that it sort of it was. Uh, more than just not take the try for yourself, his actual halfback wasn't what, what didn't know he was going to do it. So um, I, it was I was lucky he caught it, but it also gave sort of an indication of how relaxed they were uh, in their play, and that I thought was a real um, sort of a signifier, a signifier of danger for for Munster, even more so than actually scoring the tries at, at such will. He thought these guys are relaxed, they're having fun. Um, I think that was one guy. They're though. enjoying what they're doing. <laughs> you know, Barry, yeah? I think it was one guy. I think, uh, you know, I think that what he did there was bizarre and it was, insulting. Uh, no, I, I don't think it was insulting. I don't think he. he he's just play, that play kind of player. He's yeah. just that kind of player. I think it's it's the way he he plays, and that's fair enough. Uh, if, if that's, I don't think any of the players would ever turn around and say, "Wow, look what he did." They're they're making a fool of us. I don't think. If you look how hard they worked around the field, the likes of Nianga and Dunica Ryan and. Um, pretty much everyone, every you know, they absolutely left everything on that pitch. They were exhausted for for the second half, and you can't take that away from them. Shane, there's a seems to be a consensus that this is maybe a good thing for Leinster, even though Racing have a more talented squad than Munster. That you you take out the All Irish element, take out all that emotion, make it into just another game of rugby for this final. Would you agree with that? Do you think Leinster are in a better position going up against Racing? I'm not sure. I don't, you know, not well, clearly not based on on you know yesterday's performance, maybe, um, and some of those players missing. I think um, if you look, if you if you look through the Munster side and you go, you know, position for position, you go uh, man for man against Leinster, um, and you even just look at the people who are playing for Ireland and, and the people who are who are you know on the fringes are not, not quite there yet. Then you do look and you go, there's quite a um, there looks to be a fairly big difference, but. Um, if I was going into the game against Munster, you know, uh, would I be as nervous as as I would be as I am against uh, Racing? Yes, but in a different way. You're right. There is that sort of intangible um, that that comes from one uh, playing against your uh, national rivals, but also there's an intangible uh, about playing against Munster, and um, that's kind of what was almost you know surprising because you know especially after the Toulon uh, game. A couple of weeks before, where you know I didn't think they should. I, in the lead up to that, I didn't think they were going to win it. But then they, you know, delivered this this performance that was um, so dogged, and 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 it was almost you know you just felt it was part of of the monster DNA to to deliver a sort of performance like that. Um, you know, I would think that they'd be capable of delivering something similar to that in a final again. But whether that would be necessarily enough to uh, to, to win against this Leinster t- side and the way they're playing and the, the variation that they have in their game, um, uh, I'm, I'm not certain. Barry, you had your own battles with injury over the years in your career. I don't know what you made of Robbie Henshaw coming back and playing as he did at the weekend. Brian O'Driscoll said, absolutely incredible that Henshaw's back playing today after a full shoulder reconstruction 10 weeks ago. To dispel any rumours that, wa- uh, that it was a lesser injury, it wasn't. Massive credit to him, the Leinster medical staff and so on. Yeah. It's not just getting back on the field, but getting back and looking like he was he just played 10 games in a row. That's it. 
he was the key element for me that the two of them uh, the attitude they brought himself and Ringrose in the centre just um, their line speed um, they were so aggressive at the breakdown they were involved in everything you know every part of play that you'd want um, a 12 to be involved in Shane I couldn't get over just his confidence in his own body I think he led the tackle counts in the Leinster backs just everything he did it was as if he'd been playing last week well, one, he looked better than he did before he left even, and he was playing <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, but he actually does look better. He, 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 I think he has dropped a bit, He's or, or sorry, got a little bit leaner, uh, or maybe had to have to have a, 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 a break from lifting bigger weights or, or whatever, but he just looked more mobile. He looked dynamic, explosive. And I actually, you know, I think he can't understate. I can't understand how he came back from an injury, that injury in that, in that length of time. It's, it's incredible. That is you know a really serious long-term injury and you know you know himself first most but the you know the surgeons the um the physios the um uh, rehab staff to get them back in that sort of condition is incredible and he had a very very significant impact on, on the game carried ferociously um a rook time as every, all the leicester players were they were on you know a class above um you know we would spoke we had spoken last week about the you know maybe the impact of the Scarlet's back row and Tyke Burn and how much you know um, ball they could turn over on the deck and they they Leinster were just unwilling to give them anything at the breakdown and that was that was a you know one of the major differences between the sides and what I was you know what I was very impressed with with Leinster was uh, the tactics that they used now. It wasn't for me, you know. Apart from you know some of the wide moves, you know, a lot of it was a, a big physical, um, you know, a carrying game with leechers on either side and, and driving through. And it's not, you know, it's not the kind of rugby I'm mad watching, but um, it was what you had to employ against the Scarlets because if you looked at the way their defensive line was, they um, because they weren't getting much a rook time, they weren't actually putting anybody in the rooks. And this is something Racing did yesterday, so it's, it's a, it'll be an indicator for what we see at the final. Uh, they weren't putting numbers in the rooks. They also had their nine in the defensive line, and they weren't covering the backfield with three. They were covering it with two, sometimes one. And that means you've got a, a defensive line right across the field, and it's very difficult for Leinster to do any, any wide plays as a result of that off-phase play. Uh, so we didn't see too many loop plays. We didn't see the ball going back to sex, and we didn't see too many balls out the back, which has been all that, which all have been hallmarks of what Leinster have been doing all year, because that's exactly what the, that defensive system wants you to do, and they want you to take those chances. And with a big uh, red wall, they close it up. But instead of that, uh, Leinster reverted to a much more basic game. Uh, plan, but their carries had good footwork. The leeches were perfect, and um, the numbers at rook were, were accuracy at rook was perfect, and um, they just out muscled and out bullied the, the Scarlets team, which was kind of something that we, you know, I didn't necessarily expect the game to unfold like that. And if you Shane, if you take your mind back to before this game, the confidence that Scarlets would have brought into it. They won the league last year. They were on this run of momentum from the pool stages of this competition. They, they were filling their stadium. You know, they're playing this brand of rugby that the Welsh took on and they were filling the Welsh team. There's 10 or so of them in the Welsh team. And then when you look at the end of the game and just how, or even say at halftime, how little hope Scarlet's had. They had, Leinster had extinguished every element 
of Scarlet's threat. Those players would have been going in at halftime thinking we can't outfight them, we can't outsmart them, we don't have a kicking game to take them on, we can't take them on at um, you know rook after rook because they're Levy and Ryan are just getting in there. There was nothing that Scarlet's could do. They just knew they had to play out the game, keep fighting with zero hope. Yeah, it looked like that, especially in the the opening moments of the second half. You know, it was it was obvious that this game was over at halftime. But if there was any way that the team were going to get back into it, they had to have a good ten minutes after halftime, and they didn't. They weren't at the races. You know, Lancer were unlucky not to score another couple of tries. Uh, but all the all the territory was down on that um, Scarlet's line. They never looked like getting up the other end of the field, and they looked thoroughly you know depressed and bro- and broken, and they looked like. It looked like you know an average um, um, a pro fourteen game where you know uh, they'd come over to Leinster and and or you know in the same similarly you've seen teams go over to, to Munster and sort of just barely turn up and just know they're kind of beaten before the game goes out and and go through the motions and uh, I'm not I'd certainly not wasn't their mindset going into it as you said because there was a lot of talk about you know how confident they were and what they'd done this time last year and where they've moved the game on to and how there's no fear of of Leinster and they'd have a few bob on themselves. And very, very quickly, that went straight out the, uh, out the window. I get the sense that there's an interesting dynamic with Leinster and Ireland where all these young players are coming through and getting praise to the rooftops. And when you listen to some of the older lads talking about them, I think they want to keep them in their place a little bit, which would be natural. Like Johnny Sexton was talking about Jordan Larmer after the game. He said he backs himself. He backed himself against 10 Scarlets on the short side when there was a six-man overlap on the other side. I said to him, did you call for the ball there? He said, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I suppose that is a healthy dynamic if... The likes of Sexton and them are just keeping a little bit of manners on the likes of Jordan Larmer and all these young lads who are bursting through. Yeah, I think they've got they've got that experience there, and it's a uh, being a young lad at one point that came into a team. It's always, uh, you know, I came into a monster team that had lost loads of semi-finals and finals and stuff, and they had built up that experience that. Uh, they knew what to do in these moments, and uh, you have. You to don't want to coach stuff out of them, though. Yeah, you know, do you? you no, you want you want the kids essentially as what they are to have that sort of to try those things that maybe mm-hmm. the older players. Gordon Darcy wrote recently about how over the years he regrets now being a bit too conservative in the way that he played. He he decided to focus on the technical stuff, the rooking, all the all the kind of things that he was great at, and maybe uh, that was to the detriment of of actually having a go a little bit. So, is there a balance there? Yeah, I think ignorance is bliss when you come in at the start and you just start, you know, throw caution to win. You're just delighted to be there, and that can that can be taken out of you after a couple of years, and uh, depending on the environment or whatever. But um, yeah, it is important, I think, to have players like that to to especially, you know, widen the wings or, or in the centres that they can, you know, show what they have and not be afraid to to make mistakes if it is. But it's how you react to those mistakes, which I think. You know, I think a lot of players have been been guilty of uh, of making mistakes and and taking it on their shoulders and and like I think Luke Fitzgerald used to always talk about that about how he responded to to mistakes and how he'd he would never let them get them down and to pinch yourself or whatever to mm-hmm. to get you back in the game and and that if you come into a team with confidence which uh, which I was lucky enough to come into back in the day that 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 you wouldn't be long picking up that stuff. Shame one player they don't seem to have to cajole or keep in his place is James Ryan, who's 21, still hasn't lost a professional game of rugby, uh, was close to man of the match again, almost a perfect performance. Um, and just one uh, specific thing on him, I've, I've heard a lot of ex-players say, you know, he's brilliant, he's doing really well, i just like to see him put on a bit more muscle. I would argue he's the perfect physique at the moment for the game that Leinster certainly play. 
and that you know he kind of has that lean strength he, he doesn't have any excess muscle from what I can see on him and yet he, he breaks tackles all the time and it's actually his acceleration and his speed as much as his power that seems to work even in those tight circumstances and maybe all he needs to do is just work on injury prevention in the gym as opposed to trying to build a load of muscle yeah it's interesting because um um, I, I don't see a deficit for him in in power. You know, I think you know you can get more powerful, but um, sometimes that comes at um, a, a cost of maybe compromising your uh, agility. And it's really sort of the thing you see um, with players as they go further on in their career: their ability to move off their feet and and um, and um, their ability to sort of sidestep tends to um, f- fall away a little bit, and then they rely on a more power game. I don't think. You know James Ryan uh, should be relying on that his footwork at the moment in a, um, to to put him on a soft shoulder, a slightly soft shoulder is is excellent and it's one of the key elements of his game. But also, it's um, he I've never he, he doesn't get dominated in the tackle even when he does take it up front up. So I don't think that's a big issue. You're right. Um, you know there's not too many areas this guy you know has to work on. And I'm going to say it at the weekend that it's it's his his um, you know job now is to, as you said one stay fit and to just keep on delivering uh, performances at the level he's doing now because uh, his game awareness is is really really clever and that's why I think we're seeing something from from Leinster players um, that are, as a young players that we may may not have seen before he's the real standout for me interestingly you used uh, the example of Jordan Larmer and that short side run that for me is you know you, you don't want to uh, um, sort of stop a, a young lad from trying stuff, but that was that was silly to going down that short. There was he should never gone down that, and that's a kind of you know sort of canniness. You don't really see that sort of error from James Ryan um, at all, and in in his first you know really full year, and and it's it's interesting. Dan Levy, if you look at the way he's developed in his uh, I suppose game management and and game nows last year. Um, you know, he he actually ended up you know not having a great end of the season because he was sort of making um, poor uh, reads and poor decisions on a sort of an overall game plan. Never an issue with his his physical performance, but he just wasn't seeing the bigger picture at all. And, and uh, he was making mistakes and giving away penalties. And I think he lost his place. And he nearly lost his place in Ireland. Or, or if it hadn't been for injuries, he he wouldn't have had his place in Ireland this year as a result of that. But now I thought we saw a much more mature version of him even at this young age so i think when you when you can combine the the you know the, the individual talent with the tactical now so you've got you know you got very close to being a, a complete player and, and somehow you know whatever kind of you know freak of nature he is or whatever however he's worked on it growing up but james ryan seems to have that from day one yeah stay out of the gym is the message of today's <laughs> show so far uh, lencer one other story i wanted to ask you about shane while we're speaking of young players is that lencer according to peter Wright in the sunday times are under increasing pressure from joe schmidt and the irfu to provide ulster with a replacement for paddy jackson even though joey carby and ross Byrne, the two candidates are reluctant to move so this is from the piece schmidt and irfu performance director david nusafora visited lencer center last sunday morning to inform leo cullen that he needed to make a choice between the two youngsters who was staying and who was leaving and he needed to make his choice promptly Leinster are understood to be furious that Cullen should be pressurised like this in the week of a Champions League semi-final. Um, if if that's all, if it went down as it's painted there, um, what do you make of that? Well, number one, you're, that conversation should not be happening um, at the week of a, um, a semi-final at all. It shouldn't be something that's taken up any mind space with Leo. And I hope Leo gave them short, short, um, short shrift, uh, yeah. shift because yeah, short shift because that's just not. It's not right. It shouldn't be taken up any time. The other thing is, 
you know, it's okay. And I kind of understand the bigger picture here of wanting you know, players to, to play. And I think Carberry is too good a player not to, not to, be, um, on, uh, not to be playing every week. And I think, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in, in the next six months either. And I don't, you know, there's, there's maybe somewhere you could fit uh, Carberry in that team. But Sexton certainly isn't going out from, from um, 10 anywhere soon. But um, I think it's a it's very very tough to ask the players to go to Ulster at the moment. You know everything that's gone on there. They've no co- they've no coach for next year. They're um, you know a team that hasn't had any success. They're coming from an organisation at Leinster that's humming at the moment, where they've you know grown up play- wanting to play for Leinster and wanting to um, you know have succeed with them. They're on the cusp of of you know maybe winning a, a European Cup and being on the on the cusp of a of a um, you know um, a time of, of of you know continued success for Leinster, and that could possibly happen. So to ask young players to, to leave and they have to go up to Ulster and they have to play in that team, which is ex- extremely dysfunctional at the moment. Um, and if they don't, by the way, if you don't do that, uh, you you're not going to be playing for um, Ireland at all. You don't have the opportunity to Ireland. You can't go anywhere else in Europe. You know, there's something in me that thinks that that's you know that's a pretty you know tough ask, and and I have to say I did think with Jordy Murphy and you know the season that he's had this year, um, and the performance that he's delivered for Leinster, having to go up there, uh, and not maybe you know maybe not on your own terms, then um, I think it's I think it's very very tough. It is a bizarre situation to be in, and we obviously need to sort out the distribution of talent around the four provinces better than we currently are. But can you imagine with those two players? I'm talking about Carberry and Byrne. Both being aware, this is in the papers this weekend, knowing there's a situation possibly coming up where one of them will be told to go, or I don't even know how they'll come to that decision. I presume it'll be left to Leo Cullen, assuming this report is correct. What, what a strange situation for those two players to be in. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's, it's and, you know, it, that filters back to the players as well, you know, and, and Carby was, you know, on the bench and, and, you know, came on and I think it contributed pretty well. So, um uh, you know, it, it shouldn't be something that they have to deal with at this moment of time. But you're right; there is a bigger issue with distribution of talent, and it's one of the issues with the success of Leinster's uh, academy. They just keep on generating a lot of good players. Um, but uh, in, if I was a player of Joey Carberry's, in, in particular of his class, um, I'd want to, if I had to leave Leinster and I was told, you know, that that or, or the the door was closed. And I don't think he thinks it is, by the way. I still think he's, he can force his way into that uh, Leinster side. If not this year, then certainly next year. Um, then I wouldn't be going to Ulster. I, I wouldn't. I'd want to be going to somewhere that I think I could win a trophy. And at the moment, uh, Ulster are a long, long way off that. I'm sure you feel some sympathy, Barry, for Leinster having to fit all these <laughs> academy <laughs> prospects yeah. into their Yeah, it's tough. Well, like for Ross Byrne, then. I mean, I mean, yeah. he, he's he's clearly third choice then. Um, and uh, if you're going to be playing that fiddle for for a long part of your career, it's it's you know as as daunting as it might be to move somewhere like Ulster. Um, uh, at the moment, with the with the way the province is at the moment up there, it, it, it might be daunting, but it's an opportunity to get to play games. And I'd, if I was a player, I'd hate to look back on my career and, and miss the opportunity to start uh, as an out half in in one of the Irish province teams as a regular starter. I think that's a huge opportunity. So I wouldn't turn my nose up, but at the same time, um, I could understand why why Carberry mightn't want to do it. Um, but yeah, there's definitely opportunities there for these players, and 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 the other provinces need it, um, and vice versa with 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 other you know other players leaving other provinces when there's opportunities. Yeah. I think it's a 
should be taken up. All right, Barry, the Champions Cup final is on the mm. 12th of May, so that's loads of time to work on an analogy for <laughs> Leinster against Racing. Plenty of material to work with. Barry, thanks so much. Shane, thanks a million. Thanks a million. I was watching Jaws the other night and I was like, fuck, this is a good analogy now for Munster. <laughs> uh, I was like, bear with me here now. I was like, so Munster is like the the boat, right? And uh, yep. they're, they're all in the boat, the team. And then you've got Amity Island, which is the island that has been tormented by the shark. Yeah. And that's like the province and the, the people and the fans and the friends and family okay. and then you've got the shark and that's Toulon like and yeah. he is tearing lumps out of the boat and he's like and there's been loads of casualties like Keith Earls is gone his knee was bitten off and then uh, you know we have to remember who we've got in the field and uh, <laughs> you know we've got that crazy captain guy with the beard and the pipe yeah Robert Shaw that's Robert Peter, Shaw that's Peter O'Mahony yeah qu- that's Peter O'Mahony he's like yeah. manic he will die, die on, on that, that boat, boat. He, yeah. that boat will go down and he'll go with it he just wants to kill a shark like and yeah. then You've got like that nerd Richard Dreyfus, who's yeah. like Felix Jones doing yeah. all the homework and he knows the sharks, the sharks inside, inside out. out. And then you've got the chief and that's like Conor Murray. He, you know, you know, he's yeah. not, we know he's not going to die. He's, he's going to be the saver in the end. He's too cool to die. too cool to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Andrew Conway is kind of like the, the fire extinguisher that blows up. The yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell you lads, it'll uh, it'll happen. <laughs> Got an email in here from Joe Z A D E H. Got an email in here from Joe. It says, "Hello, Owen. Hello, Ken. Hello, Murph. Hello, Joe. I really Hello, enjoyed. Joe. I really enjoyed the rare segment last week about Newcastle United. As a Newcastle fan, I wanted to say it's worth noting that the turning point in our season came when the fans displayed the defiant 62-word banner on January 31st. It was a message from the fans, the players, and Rafa to forget about all the chaotic crap and politics spiraling around our club. The spirit of Newcastle, Newcastle United, that is, is something far deeper than that." Prior to that game, we had won once at home in nine matches. Since then, we've won every single home game and only lost one in eight. One every, oh yeah, one in eight, including mm. the other games it's before this weekend. Fan power in capitalised letters here. Much love from a paid-up World Service member, Joe Zade. Pronounced like match of Zade, says Joe. Okay, thank you, Joe. So you've helped me out there, Joe. Thanks for that. It has been a big season for fan power. Mm. You and your mates have kept Newcastle up, essentially. Well Arsenal, done, Joe. Arsenal Fan TV have gotten... Finger out the, the yeah. boot. Or, uh, they've gotten them out. They've got the job done. Heading mm. the plate there. And of course, the Liverpool supporters comprehensively beat Man City 3 0 in the first leg of their quarterfinal. <laughs> sure, Salah and a couple of other lads scored, but. But it was mostly the fans. Mostly the fans, as all the analysis. And you know, fans are. The time. They're always very loath to take the credit in a situation like this, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the last thing Joe wanted to do was email us in. Ah, oh, he was very reluctant, you could tell. Yeah how they had single-handedly turned around Newcastle United season. They hate that. No. But sometimes, you know, just to get the, get the message out there, you got to bite the bullet and email in prominent football. Duff your podcast. fucking shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was that. It was reverse psychology by the Newcastle fans yeah. that really got the team going. But that Liverpool passion is something that Ken is going to experience up close this week. If you're part of the World Service, you can be there with him. And indeed, you will be there with him. If not, I guess we'll chat to you again next Monday. Thanks for listening today. Thanks very much, Perf. Thank you, Owen. And we'll talk to you soon.
Here they are, the sea of red. Are we here to win? Are we here to win? Yes, we're here to win! And we're going to! What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.